Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. This week, Tom Schreiner joins the conversation talking about the many aspects of justification, the practical payoff, God's holiness, imputation, faith versus works, and much more. Let's join the conversation. Well, thanks for joining us today. We are so glad to have a special guest with us, uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner. Dr. Schreiner is the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament and Associate Dean of Scripture and Interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, which I think is up to like 48,000 students now or something like that. Um, but Dr. Schreiner is also a, a prolific author. Um, my, my rule of thumb with Tom Schreiner's work is if his name is on it, you need to get it and have it in your library. He writes everything from commentaries to um, uh, pastoral works, New Testament theologies, and most recently. Recently, a volume in the Five Solas series from Zondervan. Uh, Dr. Schreiner's volume is on the doctrine of justification. It's called Faith Alone. And I was very happy when I saw that uh, they included you in this series and was eager to get the book and have already been uh, challenged and, uh, and helped by it. So thank you, Dr. Schreiner, for being with us. Oh, it's great to be here. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Now, Carl, you had an interesting observation about uh, Tom Schreiner. Uh, he's, he's sitting around a table with three Presbyterians. Um, Dr. Schreiner is a well-known Baptist who's, who's written um, kind of, you know, one of the strong uh, Baptist defenses of, of credo baptism out there. Um, you know, should we Presbyterians, should we fear uh, I, Dr. Schreiner? I do think Dr. Schreiner is the, the biblical scholar that Presbyterians should most fear. <laughs> but do not worry. I think within 25 minutes, he will have repented and leave the room as a Presbyterian. There's a place for you in the PCA, Dr. Schreiner. I feel yeah. very welcome. Yeah. <laughs> we won't actually let you out until you're a Presbyterian. So. <laughs> Uh, I hope no one from SBTS is listening. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, Carl, uh, any, anything off the top of your head that you'd like to first uh, um, begin this inquisition about? Yeah, I'd like to ask about the new book on justification. Perhaps in, in a sort of brief compass, uh, Tom, you could summarize for the listeners, uh, why is justification a doctrine that pastors should be concerned about? Clearly, we all know that historically it plays a big role in the Reformation. But many of our listeners are pastors and may be wondering, well, what's the practical payoff in my week-to-week ministry of this, of this doctrine? Why should I be interested and concerned in the doctrine of justification? Well, I think the fundamental issue of, in life uh, is, is whether we're right with God. Uh, there's nothing more important than that. How will we stand before God on, on the final day? And, and that's, it, it's clear, I think, from Romans, Galatians, Jesus' teaching, really, really every book of the New Testament addresses this issue. How do we stand in the right before a holy God? So I think a pastor would say, what, what's your role as a pastor? It's, it's to unfold and to teach the scriptures. And the scriptures, uh, it's not the only thing the scriptures talk about, but the scriptures speak about how do we stand in the right before the Holy One of Israel. We're prepared for that in the Old Testament, aren't we? Can Israel, Israel as God's covenant people, can they stand before the Lord? Of course, there's the sacrifices and so forth and so on. But, but 
fundamentally it depends upon our relationship with Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. That's what I love about your title. It's uh, the doctrine of justification, what the reformers taught, and why it still matters. And you're talking on a pastoral perspective, but as a lay person, I find that I'm very passionate about this topic, but it's so hard to communicate to other lay people why it still matters. They look at it as an academic issue or just splitting hairs. And so why is it important for for lay people as well? And how can we communicate that to them? How can pastors do that better? Uh, Maybe I say something about my own history. I was raised as a Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. As a Roman Catholic, I was taught that you're right with God based on on what you do. Honestly, like many Roman Catholics, I wasn't very concerned about that in my personal life. But when I thought about my relationship with God and whether I would go to heaven, I would think in terms of my works. I don't think that's just true of Roman Catholics. I think that's true of all of us. Mm-hmm. When, when we reflect on our own lives, we reflect on over against God, we, we reflect on whether we're good enough to stand before him. That's an existential issue yeah. we face every day. Right. If we don't see the importance of that, we're, we're so consumed with life in this world that we've really forgotten about God. That's the fundamental yeah. issue. Yeah, the whole dilemma begins in Genesis 3, doesn't it, um, with the fall. And so the whole dilemma of now how is this going to be fixed and how can I be right with God begins almost from the very beginning. And, and even with Christians, right? We can, we can begin to think so much of our daily lives, are we fruitful, are we happy, are things going well, that we can forget about what's fundamental, mm-hmm. or do we stand in the right before a holy God? Right. That's why I mentioned the holiness of God in my first uh, answer. God is the Holy One of Israel. Even as Christians, we're prone to forget that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a weakness, perhaps, in contemporary church life, that the holiness of God has been eclipsed, maybe because of... But, the impact of consumerism or therapeutic approaches to the Christian faith, but the holiness of God is not something that seems to be accented in, in a lot of churches. Do you see that as a definite weakness? I see it as a massive weakness. And, and I think in terms of churches and then individual Christians, I suspect one of the reasons for it, not the only reason, one of the reasons for it is I don't think many Christians, and perhaps some pastors, perhaps too many pastors, they don't read the Old Testament enough. Interesting. The, old, Interesting. the Old Testament reminds us again and again of God's holiness. Of course, it's in the New Testament mm. as well. But the Old Testament is the fundamental backdrop, yeah. and, and we just don't read the Old Testament as much anymore. Mm. I, a person who I thought knew the Bible very well, I won't name names, I mentioned a passage in the Old Testament, and they didn't know it was there. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. So it's, it's quite shocking, really. Yeah. And sometimes, of course, when we read the Old Testament, there's a tendency to see it as a problem. Yeah. yeah, when we do finally read it and see the holiness of God and what that leads to in certain in certain situations, such as Joshua and Judges, for example, the holiness of God is not something that we we accept on faith. It's something that we then have to try to yeah. excuse in some way or get around or explain. Then we engage fundamentally in apologetics, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. Right. But instead of exposition, yeah. well, we're often doing apologetics when we come to the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. That's good. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you this: Why do we? point out the fact that forensic what first of all what do we mean by justification being forensic and why is that then so key based upon what we some of these things we've just said well the word forensic comes from the law court so god god is our judge and and judges make declarations do you stand in the right or in the wrong are are you 
innocent or are you guilty? And, and forensic justification means that God declares us to be in the right. God declares us to be not guilty because of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. And so that's, that is fundamental because we're not declared to be in the right because of any transformation in us. Right. Because we, we remained until the day of our death sinners. So we need, we need that declaration that we stand in the right from God. And let me add, yeah. you're probably going to ask this, but we also need the imputed right. righteousness mm-hmm. of Christ. Yeah. We, we, since our sins continue until the day of our death, we need the righteousness of Christ credited to us. And you all, all you Presbyterians, right, you know, <laughs> you know the great story of uh, J. Gresham Machen as he was dying and he said, thank God for the active obedience of Christ, no hope without it. And I think that's such a striking story because as he was dying, a little bit slowly, he thought about what is sins. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Machen had done so much. If anybody could perhaps seems like a giant. Right, count on their own righteousness, it would be someone like uh, Machen. But he realized, I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. I need... I, I stand upon uh, the righteousness of Jesus Christ the alone. man that I am. Right, right. So I wonder, we, we appreciate so much of the work of, of N.T. Wright. He's a brilliant scholar. He's written some very helpful things. I think about his contributions to the historicity of the resurrection, for instance. But there are problems, and you have addressed some of these problems in the book. And I, I appreciate the fact that you, you gave rather concise uh, critiques, because oftentimes these are more book-length treatments. Just sum up quickly uh, where right veers into the wrong direction when it comes to justification and imputation. Yeah, let me say something uh, good about him first. One thing I like about Tom is Tom thinks in holes. He thinks, you know, many New Testament scholars, I think, just uh, about the text before them. And, and Tom, Tom does think deductively. He thinks in terms of a, a whole theology. That, that's a strength. But, but when it comes to justification, I think there are, are serious weaknesses. Tom rejects imputation. Uh, so I, th- I think two things about Tom that stand out. So first he rejects imputation, and then he'll say that our works on the final day are the basis of our righteousness. And that's the word he uses. Yeah. He'll say basis. He'll say that, that we, so I take it that means our justification is based in part upon what we do. And, 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 and then when you've ruled out imputation, I, I don't think Tom himself realizes this or understands it, but that takes away assurance massively mm, yeah. from people and casts them fundamentally upon themselves. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Tom's a Catholic, but I think that theology can lead people in that direction because it's, it's moving along that trajectory, whether he realizes it or not. Though it only does that, of course, if you have a high view of the holiness of God. Do you think there is a high view of the holiness of God in this movement, or is that also something else that has been downplayed? Uh, uh, that's a really interesting comment, Carl. I, th- I think Tom... It, Tom's own exposition of sin is deficient. Okay. I, I th- he'll talk about it, but I don't think he has a deep exposition of what sin is. Which connects to a view of holiness we, of God, we, of Which connects to the holiness yeah. of God. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it always struck me, the little I know of, of N.T. Wright stuff, it's, it's very similar 
in some ways to what Richard Baxter was doing in the 17th century. There are, there are obviously very significant differences, and I would certainly put N.T. Wright as a, a much cleverer exegete than, uh, than Richard Baxter. But Baxter's stuff led to moralism and lack of assurance. It, led, it had that sort of twin result. But, of course, the lack of assurance came out of the fact that Baxter did have this overarching view of God's holiness, and I just wonder if I, I don't I don't pick up the new perspective creating the problems with lack of assurance that Baxter did in the late seventeenth and and his thinking was received in the early eighteenth century. And I, and I think my friends in the movement, including Wright, they they're all worried about antinomianism, which right. is what Baxter was concerned right. yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, but I think we have the answer to that. Yeah, uh, in in the scriptures and uh, we, the Holy Spirit does transform us and our works. I would say, are a necessary evidence, yes. mm. our fruit of our right standing with God. Because, because people like Wright will say, well, you, you people don't think works are important. But, but that's not what the scriptures say, and that's not what we say. But, but how are they important? Mm-hmm. They're important as, as a fruit and evidence. And, and once again, if, if you deny uh, a, a, a biblical, full biblical doctrine of sin, and you don't have a right understanding of imputation, then then human works are are smuggled back in. And that's where I think we see some of the kind of creeping antinomianism that we saw in a few corners of the PCA, for instance, that we've addressed on this program before, is there there was this tendency to collapse uh, the whole biblical witness to salvation into just justification. Mm-hmm. Not recognizing that salvation includes sanctification as well and glorification. And, and justification became the totality mm-hmm. of, of the reality of our salvation. And, uh, and it's not. It's indispensable. We thank God for it. I'm really glad that justification doesn't depend on my works. But it's not the only thing that the scriptures teach about salvation. There's a fear that teaching justification by faith alone does lead to sin and presumptuousness. That's always been the fear of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. In, in what ways, too? Like in... In the Protestant Church, and then, I mean, you give a historical perspective in your book. You know, what ways has this doctrine of justification by faith alone been misunderstood within our own circles? Yeah, if, if I could make another comment. Yes. I mean, just in your own tradition, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Calvin, Calvin understood so well the necessity of good works, yeah. and, it, right. and he emphasizes it in, in, in his writings. Um, I, I think, uh, to come to your question, Amy, I think it's been misunderstood in a variety of ways, but, in, but, in a, but what we see is it repeats over and over again. So, so you do see someone like Baxter denying uh, imputation, for instance, and we see this de- debate with, with Owen. And I think I would recommend to your uh, readers Owen's book on justification by faith. It is just a great biblical exposition uh, of this issue. Mm-hmm. If I could say something about the early church, some people say that the early church fathers denied this doctrine. I'd, I'd love to hear what Carl would say about this, but I would I would say they didn't they didn't deal with this issue per se. But I would argue that the early church fathers believed that justification was by faith alone, oftentimes, and then they would emphasize good works, mm-hmm. but they they didn't arbitrate the issue because it wasn't being debated yet right. or oh, being discussed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you've just recently, um, th- there's a wonderful commentary series from Zondervan um, that I've found really helpful as a pastor, and you've contributed the volume on Galatians. Um, 
you you do offer also some when it comes to Inti Wright, you offer some critique of of kind of how he deals with Galatians in some points. Um, how would you how would you speak into that? Or what I might ask also is, as you wrote that commentary on Galatians, um, what did you find? Was there something new to you? Was there a particular challenge that maybe you didn't anticipate? You know, I really don't think there was anything fundamentally new because, uh, yeah, I'd, ri- I'd written a commentary on Romans. I'd written two books on the law. And, and even before I'd, I'd written Romans, Galatians was the book I'd actually studied the most. Mm. So when, when I was asked to do Romans for the Baker series, I, I was sort of hoping I could do Galatians. Mm. So I, I don't think I really found anything uh, fundamentally new. I mean, of course, there's new movements out there. But my aim, my aim in my commentaries is to clearly explain the biblical text in light of what's happening in scholarship today. And, and I would say in terms of right, I don't, I don't think there's anything new besides what we talked about in terms of justification in, in Galatians. Actually, if you look at my Galatians, I don't discuss right all that much because I think the focus in a commentary should be on the biblical right. text, and I do, I do deal with them here or there, but yeah. not, not in great detail. Yeah, yeah. and in, in, again, if, if we, I encourage you to get um, Dr. Schreiner's new book, Faith Alone, and, and he, if you've got some questions about new perspective and N.T. Wright, he deals with it, again, very graciously, but also clearly in, in, where, it, where, in where it veers off. I think some of the, um, some of the pushback is that we focus too much on justification. And I just find that if you don't get justification right, then, then what, what is your doctor, doctrine of perseverance then? And so when we're looking at all these other things, how does justification by faith alone help us then to understand better how the Christian perseveres in the everyday life and how we're able to then be able to evaluate our own selves against the holiness of God um, with hope and even motivation to to go and live a life of faith and obedience and run that race to the very end. Yeah, I, I think the objection could be right. Some, uh, we already mentioned this. Some do focus exclusively mm-hmm. on justification. That's a mistake. Right. But if we use the image of justification being foundational, mm-hmm. it's the foundation. If, if you don't have that foundation, then perseverance is a mess. Mm. isn't it, it is. and, and there's so much uncertainty and, and it, is, it is interesting when I ta- when I had a little discussion public debate with Tom Wright in 2010 I brought up this issue of assurance with him and, and, and perseverance and and he said Carl you'd be interested in this he said people in England don't struggle with that mm. they don't they don't struggle with those issues that's an American issue now I didn't, I didn't, I didn't speak to that question, but I really, people aren't different in that yeah, way, yeah, right? I, I didn't believe that, and uh, I think a human it was his, issue. I, yeah, it's a human issue. I think it was his way of kind of skirting away. It's a, from what uh, we were talking about. Yeah. Just as an observation, there are a number of things that are so-called American issues. Inerrancy is an American issue. Historical Adam is an American issue. Now, this is an American issue. I think that's upper-class English idiom for, I don't want to deal with that <laughs> issue. Because they were all issues in the churches that I was in back in England for more than half of my life. Right. Uh, we, we, had a student, uh, we had a student who lived with us, uh, uh, with uh, a high school student from Brazil. He, he struggled massively mm. with the issues of assurance. Mm. 
I, I talked to him about it a lot. I mean, he was, we're, we're so prone, some personalities more than others, but we're so prone to want to rely on our works. Yeah, yeah. And so. It's our default. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So you, we need to be reminded of uh, justification. Luther said we need to relearn the gospel every day. Right. Yeah. So does James, does James contradict Paul? Uh, no, he does not. No, he does not. <laughs> the, this program would end if I said yes, right? <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us. Because I, I interesting because I have as from the days when I was a youth pastor in the Southern Baptist Church and, and a pastor and, and now a pastor in the PCA Church. Um, I've I've gotten that question I don't know how many times over the years. Yeah. People coming to me troubled by what they see as a massive contradiction between James and Paul. How would you? Yeah, well, it's interesting as I was working on this book that you know Roman Catholics such as Frank Beckwith yes. and, and if you're here still know the name Richard John Newhouse and of course many others throughout history. J- James says justification is not by faith alone. Right. And, and they point to that verse and say, see, the, the reformers are wrong and right. so forth and so on. But we have to understand James in context. James can't be proof texted either. Every every writer must be understood in context. And James, I think clearly, I don't have time to exposit it here, but I think James is clearly talking about the the fruit of faith, the the result of faith. And James is not saying our works are the foundation. And and one thing I found really helpful is in James three one, James says when he's talking about the tongue. We all stumble in many ways. And stumble means sin there. Mm-hmm. Look, at, look at 2.10, where he says, if you stumble in one respect, mm-hmm. you're, you're a sinner. So James says we all stumble in many ways right after he talks about justification. And, and notice the we. James includes himself there. And we all. So that's yeah. a universal statement. We all stumble in many ways. So I, I think that's a clue. There's many other things we could say. But I think that's a clue that James does not think our works are the foundation mm-hmm. of our relationship with God. But they're a fruit because even after we're Christians, James can say, we all sin occasionally, yeah. once in a while. Mm-hmm. No, we all sin in many ways yeah. until the day of our death. Right. So your position is very similar to Greg Beale's then. Would that be a, a reasonable way of describing where Greg talks about the membership card is what gets you through the door of the club, but it's paying the annual dues that actually makes you a member. And he draws an analogy, I think, with Christ pays the dues, but our works are like a membership card when we when we appear at the door of the club. Does, yeah, does that I, I like that illustration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I resonate. I love I love Greg's scholarship. Uh, yeah, Greg's a good friend and does yeah. fan, fabulous work. Is he the biblical scholar that the Baptists fear most? <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. Certainly the dispensationalists. Yeah. 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 We need to put them yeah. together in a room. Greg, Greg is amazing. Yeah, he, he does fabulous work. Yeah. And, and I, I, Amy's alluded to it, um, but even as we talk about you know, these implications of justification, and, and clearly um, obedience, transformation is an implication of justification. It's not justification, but it's an implication of justification. Um, you, you wrote a number of years ago. In fact, it was when I was, a, I think, a brand-new pastor in, in the late 90s. Um, uh, your, your book with Ardell Kennedy, um, The Race Set Before Us, came out, which was enormously helpful for me. Uh, because I had decided I wanted to preach through Hebrews. Mm. And that book, probably more than 
any other single resource I looked at helped me navigate the warning texts in Hebrews. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To you know, growing up, and I, and I have to say, growing up, those text I heard those texts dismissed because it's so hard to square them with once saved, always saved sloganeering. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you do a great job in that book in saying, you know, you can't do that. You can't just act like those aren't they're there. a means for God to preserve us. Exactly. And and that was extraordinarily helpful for me as a pastor because of the assurance issues um, that uh, that people deal with. And so not long ago, you came out with an abbreviated version of that um, book as well. But that was very helpful um, uh, for me in, in helping to deal with people's questions about obedience and the role of obedience. Um, and are those warnings life? to us believers right. or are right. they to the other people? Yeah. And how would you, how would you, and again, this is really big commentaries are filled with this, but as people, you know, pastorally, you know, people will read or see those warning passages in Hebrews and, and ask me, is that warning for me? Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a huge question and good interpreters that I respect, you know, go in the other direction in, in, in that some take those addressed to be non-Christians. So I, I have a minority view there in the reform camp any, anyway, and that I see that they're believers. But I, and I, I would argue, as Amy said, there are, means, there are means by which God preserves those who belong to him. But one benefit, if that's true, one pastoral benefit, is the way those warnings are usually preached, they're preached so that you ask yourself, and it's fine to do this in some passages, but they're preached so you ask yourself, am I really a Christian? Right. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're a call fundamentally to introspection, and right. I think there's some texts like that. But I would argue that the purpose, the function of those warnings is not a call to introspection, but a call to action. Yeah. It's a call to faith. Yeah. It's a call to trust. Yeah. So if you read the warnings that way, Hebrews 11 fits perfectly. Hebrews 11 fits in. It's a call to faith. It's a call to keep trusting Jesus until the end. It's not a call to say, am I alive? Am I really saved? It's a call to say, keep walking with Jesus. So, so, so many people come to those passages and begin to doubt. That's not the purpose even of the passage. I think it was in, in your book that I was reading that they're like, your parents give warning to, to their children. and They're real and they're true. Like if I say... Hey, if you play in traffic, you will get hit by a car and you will probably die. Yeah. What does that do then? It's like causes dependence from the child on their parents and to question, do I trust what my mom is saying right now? Am yeah. I going to obey this? I'm her child. I trust her. I believe her. I am going to obey this. I'm going to stay away from traffic. Right. And right. so it's directly to God's beloved warning them of a truth. Right. Right. Uh, Spurg- Spurgeon uses a great illustration yes. of... Uh, if you say to someone, this is poison, right. you won't drink it then, right. as long as you want to live. <laughs> if I believe yeah. you. Yeah. If, if I, I believe if you I believe and I want to live. I'll heed your yeah. voice. Yeah, and, and you won't drink it. it. That doesn't cause a lack of assurance, no. but we recognize that's, that's dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's relationship, really. Right, right. Yeah. and that's how the warnings function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I like that. Uh, but Carl, you're going to wrap us up here in just a minute, but, uh, but I, I, I also just have to mention, just for people's edification. Uh, if, if you go to Amazon or WTS books and put in Tom Schreiner's name, you'll see a whole lot of books. Um, you know, my, again, my rule of thumb is if he's written it, get it because it, he's enormously helpful. But I would say this to, to those of you that are not scholars 
or ordained individuals or that kind of thing. You know, he's written a, a extremely good, very thick New Testament theology. And if, and if the thickness of that kind of scares you, there is an, a, a more abridged version of it called Magnifying God in Christ. And that's kind of now my go-to book that I recommend to people who are saying, I want to I know the New Testament better. It is excellent. It's readable. And it'll give you a, a, a view of each book in the New Testament, wraps it together. It's, it's wonderful. Um, any other kind of one-off recommendations like that? I love the the little book Run Run to Win the Prize. Run to Win the Prize. Yes. Yeah, 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 I mean, excellent. I think that's a great one to recommend to lay people who want to learn Absolutely. more about um, the doctrine of perseverance and how that affects their everyday life. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, the doctrine of perseverance, I think, has often been neglected in yes. certainly in histories of the Reformed faith and more recent scholarship on on the historical theology side has started to bring out the fact that debates about perseverance were important in the Reformation. Um, and that they were significant in what went on in the late 16th and 17th century. So as well as being a, a good practical guide, I think Tom's recapturing an emphasis there of the, the classic mm-hmm. reform faith that is neglected. Yep. And elsewhere. of course the book we're talking about here yes. today, Faith yep. Alone, The Doctrine of, Justice, of yep. Justification, which, which looks like it's going to be a great series. But we're very they thankful. They do have some other stellar contributions. I've, I've heard about <laughs> one that, that's going to be, uh, that, that we might have to talk to about his um, Actually, contribution de- as well. dedicating it to the mad woman in the attic, would you believe? Oh. Oh, wow. Indeed. That's fantastic. Indeed. That's fantastic. So. But, um, yeah, so, so again, get, uh, get Faith Alone. It's an uh, excellent, excellent new book. Great. Well, Tom, it's been a great privilege having you with us in our deluxe studio here in the Hilton Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, thanks so much for giving us of your very valuable time. I'm sure our listeners will, will find this an extremely helpful podcast, and we wish you well both with your pastoring and with your scholarship in the future. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. This week, we're back to giving away books, and we have multiple selections from our guest, Tom Schreiner, at our podcast page. Head over to mortificationofspin.org, check those out, and enter to win. And be sure to join us next week for this conversation. One question that often presses in on those of us who come from families where many of our relatives aren't Christians is how do we respect the boundaries of our non-Christian relatives and friends? Should we respect their boundaries? When you go out for dinner at a restaurant, should we insist upon saying grace before the meal? Um, Should we see every encounter with them as an evangelistic opportunity? What are the the boundaries that we should respect and the boundaries that you know we need to transgress in order to be faithful to the Great Commission. That's next time. Between now and then, head over to mortificationofspin.org to read, comment, and subscribe to the Mortification of Spin blog and also to catch up on past episodes. We'll talk to you again next week. As a recent Presbyterian, I, I tell people, you know, you, you, you've oh, got that's it. You, too bad. You, you, you've got, <laughs> oh, no. Maybe we should was, talk about I was, that. I was born and raised Southern Baptist. I was bad, bad, bad company corrupts malls.
I was a Baptist. I was also so a Baptist. So was Amy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm leaving. Hey, I'm leaving right now. You'll be ordained in the PCA by the time you leave today. <laughs> <laughs>